BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, first of all, it's when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick from the Pink Seats. We are back in tandem after Matt left me for Las Vegas. I thought you would come back smelling a lot more like musty cigarettes and strippers, but you don't. You look great. How was Vegas, my friend? Oh, it was amazing. It I, it sucks that I had to come back so soon. It, se- it seems like whenever you're having fun and on vacation, all, all the time, it seems like it goes a lot faster than you're just going through your, the normal routine with your nine to fives and whatnot. By the time I had, I had to fly back, I was just like, well, damn, I feel like I just got here. Well, you left me to roll solo uh, on an interview with Greg Fitzpatrick, which, by the way, was was great enjoyed having greg on always enjoy sitting down and getting his perspective hope you guys have caught that there's definitely no shortage of storylines with louisville football considering how the season went last year um, how everything has kind of turned out this winter with the coaching moves and the new hires and um, players going and coming you know from the nfl draft returning transferring all that good stuff Uh, so there is definitely a lot to talk about Um, i spent a lot of time today going through press conference um, after press conference, all the Louisville coaches now that spring practice has kicked off have all just about met with the media. Well, at least a few of them have, not all of them, but a lot of them have. Um, and we got to hear from Brian, from Brian Brown. We got to hear from um, new offensive line coach Jack Bicknell. Um, and Jack Bicknell, man, he tossed around that L word a couple of times. He loves Scott Satterfield. He loves mm-hmm. the energy and how much the players and the coaches love each other. Like this man was in a full-on love session with Louisville in his first press conference, which you love to see it, but let's, let's talk about storylines and things. The coaching one is obviously a big one, but let's kind of start with the big storylines for the offense and defense. Um, you and I have kind of separated this here and, and you're going to take care of the defense and you're, I'm going to roll through the offense in terms of the big storylines. So tell me, Matt, in your opinion, what is the number one defensive storyline entering spring practice? Well, other than just getting, trying to capitalize on more turnovers, which is one storyline I'll get into, but I, th- I think Louisville just has to, find a way to be able to get more pressure. I know we've talked several times on the, uh, on this podcast of the various ways that Louisville isn't able to generate the pressure, the amount to like on standard downs, they're able to sack at a very, at a relatively high rate, but the second they get into passing situations that they, they just can't get after the quarterback. So they're, it's a very clear need for a pass rush. And then we got into a couple other run, um, run defense metrics where the run stuff rate wasn't very good. So long story short, I think one of the main focuses for Louisville's defense, especially in that front seven, they have to find ways, craft ways to be able to generate more pressure. It'll not, it'll, it'll help the secondary as well. And this, if, if they are able to get more pressure up front, it'll just, it'll force quarterbacks to make more bad decisions and it'll help the secondary perform at a higher level than they already were performing. 
Has Brian Brown said anything? I mean, you obviously cover the press conferences in great detail um, and do a great, great job with all of that. But has Brian Thank Brown you, said or Court Dennison or even Mark Ivey for that for that matter, have any of them talked specifics on how they they envision improving their pass rush? We've kind of talked a little bit um, with Gigi, you know, from a defensive line perspective on what this scheme looks like and how they generate sacks and how it's a little bit different than your standard defense. But ha- have they spoken in detail at all? Because creating pass rush seems like such a generic thing. Every defense wants to create a pass rush, right? Every defense's right. goal is to get after the quarterback. But what have they said in, in, in very specifics about how they kind of go about doing that? Well, Brian Brown was kind of just speaking mostly in generics. You're, you're going to get that a lot with press sure. conferences in the first week of spring practice. But we're, we're actually, and now we're recording this on a Sunday, uh, we're going to talk to uh, Mark Ivey, I believe, this upcoming Monday. So I'm sure we'll find out a little a little bit more on that subject. Like, Hey, we know you have to create more pressure. You know, you have to create more negative plays, but the kicker is other than just developing depth, how are you going to do that? I think we're going to, we're going to learn a lot more as to some of the minutia as how they're going to be able to you know, create those negative plays that they're trying to, to do for lack of a better term. Yeah. And I, I think that there is, um, you know, a lot of pressure on the defensive line to step up in terms of providing that pass rush, because I believe the statistics where they had, I think, four sacks across their entire defensive line last year between guys like Jared Goldwire, Tiberius Peterson. Uh, and this Daniel was starters Kamar. and backups. Yeah, yeah, that might be a little light, but I do remember going through and kind of breaking down how many of their sacks came from the secondary linebackers defensive line and the defensive line stats were, you know, those, a lot those outside desired. backers, they, they helped out. Sure. A lot of the pass rush came, came from those guys. Yeah. And I mean, I think, the, uh, the card I think position. was it Monty Montgomery that led the team in sacks this season? Yeah, I believe yeah, he had four, four and a half, something like that. But so he, two he years in a row, team. two years in a row that your linebacker, your middle linebacker, who is uh, wasn't hasn't been a starter, has led the team in sacks. I think that kind of says more about what's missing rather than what they do have. Um, and not to be overly critical, right? It's a young group. Right. It's, a, it's a mix of walk-ons and, um, you know, lowly, lower recruited guys or guys who have switched positions. I mean, it's definitely not the ideal situation there. But we've but talked it's a guys lot about, with a bunch of promise, too. Right, so. exactly. And now we're seeing that kind of round out. We've talked a lot, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks about the guys that are that are here, the recruits they've brought in. There's talent now, right? Like they, they have really stocked the talent at the defensive line. Um, and I think it's going to be important this year to to see guys like Yaya Diaby and, um, you know, uh, Jadarian Boykin and some of these other high, highly rated recruits that they've brought in Purdue. Zach Edwards, another good, a good name there. Like these are the guys that I want to see some production out of. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can do that because the nose tackle position, not to go into too much detail here on the defensive line, but that's the biggest question mark on the defense for me. And we'll kind of talk about that over the weeks to come. And as we dive into these storylines a little bit, but um, you know, there's, there's experience there, but there's not a lot of production and that that's going to put a lot more um, I think a lot more pressure on the outside uh, and, you know, in Kennard and Diaby and those guys to produce. And so that makes this spring crucial. They talk about fundamentals, being what they are really kind of focusing in on. And I wrote about this last month. I, you got to find a way every day for those defensive ends to think about nothing but getting after the quarterback pressure. And I shouldn't right. even just say after the quarterback, but getting into the, just backfield. getting in the backfield. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. However, you have to do that every single step of the way they talk, they've talked a lot this off season about competition and trying to really kind of heat things up. That's got to be the number one priority for that defensive line. And it, and there's a lot of pressure, in my opinion, on Diaby and Boykin and these younger guys to step up to the plate, even with the mix of older walk-ons that they have, because that's that's the guys that I think they're going to count on for the production. Right, because now Louisville, not just on the defensive line, but in the, on their defense as a whole, they've got a little bit of a trade-off where they, they lost their fair share of experienced guys. I mean, Rush East moved on, uh, Roger Burns moved on, a couple other pieces on that defense moved on. But the, the catch is they're, they're losing all that experience, but they're replacing that with a, bu- a bunch of guys, a bunch of quality guys, a bunch of young, up-and-coming, promising, uh, not only freshmen, but you got a, a, a transfer or two in there as well. And uh, talking to Brian Brown, I think he said this in his in his first availability for the spring. That's a trade-off he's glad he, he gladly takes. I mean, yeah, there's there's not as much experience. There's still experience. You've still got CJ Avery. You still got people like TP. There, there's a couple guys on there, but they've brought in a bunch of guys where they're they're long. They're athletic. They're versatile. So, and that's a trade-off he's willing. To, he's uh, willing to take. Now, 
there there's go, there's bound to be some moments both in spring over the summer probably into fall camps where some of these newcomers are going to look exactly like newcomers because brian brown still said that a lot of those guys that do the first couple days of uh, camp their heads were just spinning from just intaking so much but he was quick to note that this group of newcomers seems i don't want to say he he said that they were different than others and were doing things that others weren't, but he could tell that habits that you're supposed to have when you're a division one college football players, some of those habits are getting ingrained into these newcomers a lot quicker. Like he said on a Wednesday, I believe was when he talked to us last that um, a lot of these guys are going out of their way to spend more time in the film room, uh, sitting on every staff meeting they can. And I think the exact quote, Brian Brown said that, like a lot of players weren't doing that the first couple of years here. I don't know if that's really an indictment on uh, some of the current players that are still here. And I'm, I'm sure they've learned their ways, but seeing that some of these freshmen, not only you have a bunch of freshmen, they're a bunch of quality freshmen and they're already starting to adjust to the D1 level, at least in that mindset. It, it gives me a little bit of hope that uh, some of these, it, while Louisville is going to be a relatively young defense at times, it's not going to be as bad as it might seem at face value. Right, right. And and when you're playing some of these walk-on type players like, you know, uh, Daniel Kennard and, uh, you know, uh, Ramon Pierre, you're like, these guys can play. Like, let's not sit here and act like these are scrubs. But at the same time, like, whoever is going to be out on the field has to produce. Right. Because if you're a walk-on who earned a scholarship, I mean, you, you, you earned a scholarship. Right. Yeah, you're you playing. can play. The, the the numbers of people who earn Division One scholarship versus the the people that don't are, it's just crazy. Like the, the odds that it, it you know and what it takes to become a D one athlete. So no no slight to them, um, but this year I think a lot a lot of fans are going to have less of a appetite for oh the former walk on got a scholarship and now he's in the starting role if that guy doesn't produce multiple sacks and become a guy who can be counted on to get pressure so um yeah i think that's a that's a big storyline and we're going to be really watching that because they play some teams this year that can score Ole miss being one of them to start the season off they got to be able to create some and pressure. ucf because dylan gabriel's coming back they've got like two two of their two of their first three or four games are going to be bona fide shootouts absolutely and having that defense get acclimated to the college game is going to be crucial because no more i guarantee you a lot of freshmen are going to want to are going not want to go going to want to have to contribute because at the pace that these teams play especially on that front seven in the defensive line because mark ivy he likes to rotate bodies in and out just to keep people fresh some some freshmen are probably going to play against uh, ucf and Ole miss just to make sure the starters are good to go yeah, and that's fine. I think that's something that a lot of Louisville fans will want to see and will welcome as younger players out on the field. But, I th- again, the caveat is can they produce uh, and can they help win football games? And if the answer is yes, then I, I'm cool with anybody seeing the field. All right, offense, let's switch over to the other side of the ball. Uh, the big storyline for me going into spring training or spring practice is how does Louisville replace Dez Fitzpatrick, Tutu Atwell, JV and Hawkins? You don't need me to provide the numbers. You know that these three guys are some of the best skill position players that Louisville's had in their program history. Uh, and what they have meant to Scott Satterfield's offense in the first two seasons is indescribable. Their impact is astronomical, and it's a reason why Louisville's offense has been able to bounce back and play at the level that it has over the first two seasons when not really um, – there, there, you know, there wasn't much expectation for that to be the case. So you lose those guys to the NFL – and now it's time for the next group of guys to step up. And uh, it's a mix of, you know, uh, former Petrino players, Petrino holdovers, and Scott Satterfield um, recruited players. And so I'm interested to see kind of where the position battles take us with that, considering a guy like Maurice Berkeley is going to be, and Hassan Hall are going to be going up against a guy like Jalen Mitchell and Trevion Cooley, guys that were recruited by the new staff. Um, and there's new position coaches involved here. So, you know, I think that that adds a new wrinkle into all of this. And I, I think that I'm, I'm not going to be the Louisville fan that just says, yeah, because there's players that are behind them that will be forced to step into the roles that they left behind. That that means that they're going to equal uh, or be equally as valuable or be able to do the, you know, equal things. Let's not be naive. We are not that podcast right. here, Matt. We will call a spade a spade. There's no Diz Fitzpatrick or Tutu Atwell. So I think that there's a lot of potential at these skill positions, but to say that there is a home run uh, fit at each one that have been left behind is at this point, that's what spring practice is going to be for to, to see if that's the case. 
Right, and I agree. And a lot of people they think they think that it, it's kind of easy to predict who the starters at receiver are going to be at least because I know the way I had it, I think Justin Marshall is probably going to have an increased role after seeing uh, Braden Smith kind of have flashes towards the beginning and the end of the season last year. He'll probably be a starter in the slot, and then a lot of people saw how Jordan Watkins peaked at the end of 2020 and think he's going to be the, the starter. So I think the general consensus for a lot of people who cover little football is that those three receivers are going to be the starters, but when you lose to the a trio of guys, especially two wide receivers who are your number one and number two receivers, the amount of competition that's going to be in the wide receiver room is going to be nuts because I'm you, they're up for grabs. All of that playing time, all those receptions, all those targets, they're all, all of those that Dez and Tutu were leaving, they're all up for grabs. And a lot of the people who are on the roster now and some of these newcomers and some, and a couple of guys who are going to come over in the summer and join the program then they're going to look at that and see, okay, now is my chance to seize on that. So we think we we know who some of the starters could be right now, but who's to say someone doesn't have a breakout spring or just goes ham in summer workouts and then, then has a great fall camp and then breaks onto the – I don't want to say breaks onto the scene, but breaks onto the starting lineup, whereas right now we couldn't really see that coming to fruition. Yeah, and if you think about it, two years ago, Javian Hawkins is exactly what you just described. He was a guy who we had all but penciled in that Hassan Hall was going to be the right. star for Louisville football and the the face of this new coaching staff. And it was Javian Hawkins who got an opportunity because of an injury and stepped up, and obviously we saw what he became. And so uh, at the receiver position specifically, I think that um, there's going to be a lot of guys who you know may not have necessarily saw the field last year who play here, and there is – um, not, not, not a lot of pressure, but there's a lot of uh, intrigue, I think is a good word, around these guys. Right. And there's a lot of opportunity here because if the the knock on Louisville's passing offense last year that it was one, one track-minded, that it was a one-read, you know, the guy that, that is, the play is designed for is where the ball is going. And most of the time that was 2-2 Atwell. And they tried forcing take, a deep ball that more often than not wasn't there. Exactly. And so if you're going to take that next step as a passing offense, which I think that they will here, and they'll try to broaden their horizons a little bit and – the passing game is never going to be the number one thing for Scott Satterfield, but it's extremely important. Uh, and with all of these weapons, I think there's going to be, and you combine that with the opportunity of Malik, you know, finding multiple receivers and being able to read the field better and get more guys involved. I think there's a lot more opportunity for these players to step in and this to be a committee type of deal. Um, and hopefully one or two of those guys emerge like a Kristen Fitzpatrick, a Braden Smith, a Josh Johnson, a, you know, Tyler Harrell is still on the roster. Like there's a bunch of talent at these positions. Um, and then you have Amari Huggins, Bruce and Demetrius Cannon, who I will again say looks like a young DK Metcalf. <laughs> like uh, there's, there's a bunch he's, of talent. He's got games. There. That's for sure. But yeah, at, at some point it, it's nice to have all these assets and, and like, we know how running back is probably going to be running back by committee unless someone has a standout. But like, like I just said, it, it'll be nice to have at least one, maybe two between the wide receivers and the running backs to have like, a standout performance of the off season and try and get the, the wheels going to maybe be a standout guy or go-to guy in this offense, because let's be honest, an offense need, whether that's a running back or a wide receiver, they need a go-to guy where like you say, you're facing third and seven, you're driving down the field. I'm going to give the ball to this guy. Right. You're going to want to need that guy. It's nice to have a bunch of guys who are all Jack of all trades, but if they're master of nuns, well, master of nuts, good grief. If they're, um, you know what I mean. Right, I got you. I'm tracking along here. Right. It's the, it's the basketball analogy, right, that every team needs a starter. You hear all the time, a star. Who's going to be the guy that gets you the bucket in the final seconds of a game? Um, and there's these narratives all the time that, like, you know, you see a team try to play without the star. Well, we're going to be a, a basket by committee group. That never works. That never no. works. You want to be a team that has a go-to guy. and Because someone's got to take the last shot. Someone's right. got to do it. You want the guy who you know that you can get. And maybe you have multiple of those guys. That's happened before. But yeah. um, I think right now, you know, Coach Thomas talked about it a couple of weeks ago, building rapport between the receivers. Quarterback is going to be really crucial. Those skill position players are going to be extremely important to Louisville because – the big guys are gone. They, if they're going to produce, it's going to be from these guys. Like this is this is it. They're going to have to develop and get them on the field and elevate that level of play. Matt, on the other side of the ball, back to defense. Give me the second and final big storyline here for fans to watch out for. I think it's going to be in the secondary and not for a reason that a lot of people think because all intents and purposes, secondary had a great uh, 2020. And it was actually the, probably the biggest surprise for the little football team as a whole, because I mean, we've talked about before heading into the 2020 season, people were like, Oh yeah, the offense is going to put up points. It's the defense that we're going to have to worry about. 
and then the script completely turned on its head and it was the defense who more often than not kept the kept Louisville in games and more specifically it was the secondary who were able who was able to cut down on severely cut down on the amount of explosive plays they gave up now over this offseason they, they've they've lost a lot of guys there's been a lot of roster turnover I think they've lost seven guys three of which are starters and there's another one who's going to un, undergoing a position change in Jack Vigo so but but on the flip side of that coin they're bringing in a lot of quality guys they brought in six uh newcomers out of high school and then they brought in a really high caliber transfer in Kenderick Duncan from Georgia Southern so they supplanted all of the talent that left with high quality talent uh, that's coming in with a couple of veteran guys here and there. I know Kytro Clark is going to be the story on defense, maybe the story for Louisville football. Cause I'll make the argument now that Clark is probably Louisville's best remaining player. And then you've got, you've got veteran experience in Chandler Jones and, um, Oh God, there's a, there's a a greedy Vance. If greedy Vance can have, I think greedy Vance is a, great candidate to have a breakout year because we saw flashes of what he had towards the end of the season once he got more comfortable and he looks like he has again is kind of similar to uh to Clark where he can stay on the receiver's hip he's got he's got great speed great bursts and if and if he can make a big jump that'll be a great cornerback tandem in there but and on top of losing your safeties coach with I think bringing in Greg Gasparato it's, it's a pretty damn good hire considering Army had statistically the best defense in college football i mean literally the best number one statistically the best defense now it's all not on him it was kind of by committing coaching staff and whatnot but anytime you've got on your resume hey i helped coach the number one defense i mean it doesn't matter what position you coach that's 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 something to hang your hat on but so i don't think the secondary is going to take take a step back i don't think i don't think that's going to be in the slightest but it's going to be interesting to see how they bridge between 2020 and 2021 knowing the amount of of uh overall turnover both on the roster and in the coaching staff there was and there, i think there's going to be a lot more boomer bust with the secondary specifically at the safety position because you are replacing two three veteran guys who were good players solid fundamentally sound players who they they did their job but they didn't elevate louisville um with playmaking ability and i think right. with the young guys uh specifically guys like ben perry and braylon oliver and can i uh, walker yeah and, and 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 even just i'm, I'm talking specifically here at the safety position but mm, yeah um and you get duncan in here and you have josh minkins and, and lovey jenkins coming back you're going to have a lot more playmaking and athleticism there, but you're going to be giving up that experience, that that veteran leadership and some of that veteran understanding of what to do, what not to do. There will be bumps in the road, but I think overall that group will be better, and that is going to only make Louisville's defense better. Um, and, and that, again, I keep saying this, it's what makes this so important is those guys finding – coaching staff finding who fits where Brian Brown talked a lot uh, last week about how he wants to have his safeties be able to play both positions slide up to the card spot so there's a lot of teaching here um, and there is a a lot that's going to be going on but for you know with with Gasparato being new um, they, they they it's nice to have some continuity but also some new guys there's just a lot of moving pieces it's going to be extremely important at that safety and- spot to get it together the corner spot I'm not super worried like you have your two guys right. the rest of spring is figuring out who are the next three or four behind them you know you have Jamel Starks you have um, can I Walker you have I, I think Derek Edwards is here is he not so you have like yeah. multiple freshmen and then you have guys who greedy Vance and others who are coming back that are young and can step in so there's just there it's a lot about kind of finding that next set of guys that you can count on. And um, I think one of the things that's kind of not talked about enough is how good Louisville's three corners were last year. So I guess if you kind of have to find the like big thing in the secondary with corners is who's the third guy, because Marlon character was a physical, um, you know, dominating type of player at times, and they're going to miss that. But again, there's a lot of potential there. Let's move back to offense. The final storyline here on the offensive side of the ball. I think the the easy answer here, Matt, would be to say turnovers. Um, and I actually have that written down yeah, for here, both but, sides of the ball. <laughs> but I think that the bigger thing is play calling on the offensive side of the ball. And the, the uh, more more honestly, if we're going to be very realistic here and just kind of cut the shit. It, it's the fact that Satterfield didn't hire an offensive coordinator. Now I know that that title is a title. Satterfield is an offensive coordinator by 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 nature. He's the one that calls the plays. Um, and so I think that's what made 
everything that happened in the offense mixed with just the way that the offense kind of was stagnant in its play calling. And, and you knew kind of what Louisville was going to do all the time, run the ball on first down, uh, you know, that right. that's, that was always going to happen. And so I think there was an expectation that when Ledford left, that that title was going to be kind of relinquished, relinquished. Maybe it was a co-offensive coordinator. Maybe it was, a flat out offensive coordinator. I don't know, but Satterfield talked about how he's going to allow his other coaches on the offensive staff to have influence in play calling. Um, and that it's going to be a team effort here. But what makes this such a big storyline is Louisville cannot come back out with that same offense as last season, especially again, when you go back to the first storyline of losing Des Tutu and JV Hawkins, right? So they are really going to have to evolve here. And that is where there is a ton of pressure on Scott Satterfield to get this right. Right, because now and now it all falls on him. I mean, last year you, with Ledford being the offensive coordinator, you could, you could say, well, he's going to hand in it too. He's the offensive coordinator. He's the one who's supposed to be primarily coming up with the game plan, even though Satterfield is the uh, the play caller. Satterfield doesn't have that luxury now because it sounds like from when we asked that question about, okay, who's going to be the next OC or, or are you going to assign any of the assistants to be an OC? He kind of alluded to all five offensive assistants being essentially co-offensive coordinators, just not without the official title. He said that uh, they all contribute something to the overall game plan. uh, And Satterfield has to be careful because if, if the offense continues to cough up the ball, if the offense continues to be predictable, if the offense continues to be vanilla, that's all on Satterfield's shoulders now, especially with his offensive background, the fact that he played quarterback. He he knows offense like the back of his hand. That's his MO. If the offense in year three makes a, I don't want to say regression, but doesn't make another leap, especially since he's going into a year which defines a lot of coaches across college football. If the offense doesn't make any good strides, the, the the fan the fan not only will the fan base start to get a little bit more restless, but the people whose opinions actually matter on these decisions might start to question. Okay, is this the right fit? Yeah, and the the thing that's kind of worrisome there is that on paper, and you're going to hear this a this is going to be the first thing when any and I wrote this a couple weeks ago. Anytime. Louisville football is talked about nationally on ACC network, ESPN, whatever these big, big, you know, shows talk about Louisville. It's going to be about what they do on offense, replacing the three guys we just talked about. And there's going to be no caveat there of for Louisville fans when it comes to Scott Satterfield that like, they're, they're not going to listen to that. That might be the big national narrative, but Louisville fans are going to say, well, so what you've had three years, where's the rest of the guys? Like, why aren't they able to step up and be better? Um, right. suited to play and so i just think my point there is it, it's like naturally on paper it's tough because the offense is likely going to take a step back here like Louisville fans i know that's tough to hear but like you lose your top three guys probably a little bit of regression when you're replacing them with sophomores you know guys that are relatively new like it's just the way it's going to go and so for scott satterfield to be the offensive coordinator for that a lot of pressure on him to figure this out because uh if things don't go well there's going to be no there's going to be, there's going to be no scapegoat here. It's going to mm-hmm. be him that's going to have to answer for that. All right, let's let's move a little bit into position battles with Camp and we could bore everyone if we wanted to, Matt, and go through these <laughs> one by one. But I I don't think anybody really wants to to do that in the middle of no, spring practice. I don't know but if I would want to do that. We both have. We, here's the thing: if you want to read about that, we've both written about that. You can find that for Matt. You can find that for myself at State of Louisville. So that is out there. There's a bunch of great uh, depth chart reviews and. I think a lot of different people see a lot of different things happening, but let's just each kind of highlight, uh, you know, one or two position battles that we think are interesting. Um, and, and we'll switch here. I'll take the offense this time and I'll start with Hassan Hall and Jalen Mitchell. I think that for me, offensively, we kind of think about a big picture, even when the wide receiver thing, like both of those guys could make the argument that they are the starting running back. And not only that, Matt, they can make the argument that they can be the workhorse. Like they can be the, the guy that gets 20, 25 carries a game. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen this season just because there's so many guys. But when, uh, when you're looking at the top of the depth chart, I personally predicted that Maurice Berkeley will be the starting running back because just, I just find it really hard that he doesn't, he doesn't come back with some kind of big step into a more, uh, in-depth role he played a little bit last year you know obviously got hurt whatnot but um i, I just kind of think that he's at the top but i really do think that as it when it comes to the guy it's Hassan hall or jalen mitchell and those guys have some big shoes to fill because um javian hawkins 
very easily could be one of the best running backs in global history. Like just what he brought to the table, what he did, he was so much fun to watch. And, and his explosiveness. It's, exactly. It's, right. And it's, it's, it's a run heavy unmatched. scheme. It's a run right. heavy scheme. Like that's what they do. The running back is the most important position on the field in this scheme, um, or at least one of them. And so when you're replacing a, a second, third, fourth round guy, like, it's going to be tough, but these two these two guys proved last year that that, that they've got the ability to do it. Um, and I think that right now I would tend to lean towards Jalen Mitchell, to be honest with you. If we're kind of just talking about these two guys, I know that you and I both are really high on Berkeley. I don't think that that's kind of like a, a widely considered thing right now, which that's fine, whatever. But um, you know, I think that when most people talk about this, it's it's Holland Mitchell. Yeah, and, and each one of them has like questions they have to answer for because I know last season. Uh, it's kind of unfair on him, but he Hassan, Hassan Hall has been injury prone throughout his entire and he, career. He fumbled. It felt like every time he touched that, the football, last and year. that was going to be the next part. Like he, he, he occasionally had times where he just did not value the football. Now you could say that for a lot about Louisville in 2020, but I mean, he it, it was uncharacteristic of both him and Hawkins that they just coughed at the ball. So the, that's that's a couple of questions for him. And for for Mitchell, it's not really a question. I think uh, for him, he's he probably has to get a little bit uh, gain a little bit more speed. Not he doesn't have to be a, a burner like Hawkins was, but because he's a he's a big physical style running back. So that's that's not necessarily his game. But maybe just gain a little, a little more speed because there were several break uh, breakaway runs that he had towards the end of the season. He left fourteen where, points on the field because he couldn't get right. there. Let's be honest. Like if, if he had just a, just a little, little bit, more. bit more, a little bit more speed, that would have been next. Now I don't know if that would have changed the outcome of the of both, both those respective games. But if he can get just a tiny bit more speed, that will that will complement his game, and it could take him to a whole nother level and possibly elevate him to to workhorse status. Yeah, he proved that he can get even with his bigger size. You know, you look at him and you don't think burner like you kind of said, but um, he showed a couple of those games late that the 60, 70, 80 yard runs like he's he can bring that to the offense. Um, and and Scott, Scott Centerfield said this, I think, late last season when Hassan Hall got back into the rotation. He never really was right healthy wise. He just never looked like he did the two years prior that he was here. So I think that if you get him fully healthy and fully engaged, um, I think that it's going to be, uh, you know, a really, really good thing for this offense. Now, the other position battle that I'm really interested in, again, the wide receiver thing here, that's uh, you, you have two of the starting positions kind of being refilled um, and replacements. But the one that I'm more interested in is the slot just because of the production that Tutu Atwell provided there. Um, and I know Braden Smith played there last year. Jordan Watkins played there. But I really see this as a three-way battle. I think that Braden Smith is going to end up moving outside to play in that Des Fitzpatrick role. It's interesting. You look at some of the depth charts out there, Matt, and a lot of different people see that outside Des Fitzpatrick receiver role going a number of different ways. Like a lot of people have kind of moved receivers around and I think that's gonna be interesting to watch, but yeah, Amari- I personally have Jordan Watkins. Cause I think well, yeah. the, the way that I broke it down, I think, uh, cause I've got it pulled up on here. I think who I had as the, uh, the X guy, the one who's on the line receiver, the bigger body receiver, who's going to jam a lot of those guys at the line of scrimmage. I think I had that. Yeah. I had it as Justin Marshall. Cause he, he's got the frame. He's six, three, he's two thirteen. Right. He's yep. going to he's going to jam up those bigger receivers. Now, he, he just has to have a better year than he had last year. Now, some of it wasn't his fault. We've talked about that before. You can go back to other episodes where we've talked about that. But I have him as the X guy for like the for the slot receiver. I had it as Braden Smith. And I actually took a little bit of a shot in the dark here. And I had a shy word says the backup because just solely because I think it'll it might take a Mario Huckins Bruce or, or any other guy who could go in the slot to kind of acclimate to to the college games that's just a natural thing for every freshman no, no matter how talented you are and it, my, my question is that with works he, he's transitioning from quarterback where he was phenomenal in statesboro to a position where to my knowledge i don't think he's played before he had from, one catch i think for five yards yeah but from what we've heard from his private workouts and from spring camp that he's making the transition relatively solidly so yeah and we've seen this before i mean braxton mm -hmm. miller did this at ohio state which not to compare shea words to to um braxton miller but like heard it here first we've we've seen guys who know that they're not going to play quarterback in the nfl say i'm going to give myself a better chance to get drafted or you know make a roster and i'm going to switch positions um and i think that that's what words is here because he's a guy who threw uh for what you know five six thousand yards four thousand yards in his career he threw for a lot of touchdowns three i believe ran for a lot of t- a lot of touchdowns and so he's a very very dynamic playmaker but um that slot position i see it being amari huggins bruce shea Wirtz, josh johnson uh, maybe maybe 
Jordan Watkins, I'm really interested to see where he goes. But I think just off pictures we've seen from spring, he seems like that outside guy, like you talked about. Yeah, but- I think he's I think he's going to be the Z receiver that kind of plays outside, but it's kind of the main motion man, just because that's that's what the Z receiver sometimes does. But I can easily see him like occasionally stepping in to be that outside guy as well. He's he's not as big as a. Uh, uh, Justin Marshall, he's five eleven, but he he's from what we saw, he he's got the ability to like take on that coverage like right off the line of scrimmage. Yeah, for sure. A- a- the slot position just they they need speed, they need production there. All right, defensively, quickly, so we can move into our last segment here, which I'm really excited about. This um, let's talk about some of the position battles that you see as being crucial here um, for Brian Brown's defense this spring. I, I think the first one is going to be nose tackle because we we've talked about before. I've I just mentioned earlier on this podcast the Louisville's got to generate more more pressure. Now we can talk about how a lot of, they get a lot of their pressure off their ends and off of their outside backers. But first and foremost, when it, at the line of scrimmage, the the, the pressure starts in the middle. So they're, and they're losing their their experienced guy and Jared Goldwater, who had a relatively decent campaign i don't want to say he was overtly successful could it have been a better yeah could it have been a worse yeah i'll say it was solid so n- now you're moving on to where your two your two probable starters at no tackle are either going to be malik clark or desmond tell two guys who are relatively inexperienced so they're i think uh clark is what a red shirt freshman Richard sophomore somewhere in that he, he's he's definitely not a senior like uh, goldwire was and same for tell they're both uh i think tell came up was he a former walk-on? No, no, he was. Uh, he was in the class last year, the 2020 there's, class. He was one of that. There's, the, there's, the, there's been, so, there's been I, a lot of defensive linemen. But no, yeah. I'm thinking of Desmond Daniels. There's, anyways, regardless, also not a walk-on. But continue. Point heard. Continue. I, it's, I wrote about walk-on. Say so you would think I would know this off the top of my head, but it's been it's been a long day. But re- God bless you, man. God bless you. <laughs> that just sounds terrible. No offense to walk-ons out there, but that just sounds awful. Yeah. Regardless. There, there, it's going to be interesting to see those two battle it out and see if anyone else decides to throw their name into the ring. Because I, like I said, I think it's going to come down to Clark or tell, but up to this point, neither have a whole bunch of experience. So I, I've, I'm curious to see, because I, like I said, you, they need to get a pressure. They've got some guys on the, on the roster who can generate pressure, who I think will generate more pressure. I'm not sure how much you're going to be able to get from that nose tackle spot. Unless one of those guys has an, an outrageous off season. Yeah, to be honest with you, man, I, I don't mean to be doom and gloom here. And, you know, obviously to play in a position like that, you've got to have a lot of talent. Um, but, man, it's uh, this is where the, the outlook at this this particular spot is just not good. And, and again, it's, it's a lot of it is opportunity, right? Malik Clark was not healthy for the full season last year. Desmond Tell, same thing. Uh, but they combined for just 19 tackles between the two of them. No sacks, no pressures, no batted balls, nothing. I mean, so – um, when you're talking about having kind of a guarantee, this isn't the position where that's the case. And, uh, you know, you hope that these guys with the opportunity can step in and their numbers can increase. But, uh, you know, I wrote this um, in, our, in the defensive depth chart over at State of Louisville. I, I'm, I've been pretty honest with this one. The defensive tackle, I think the starting nose tackle is not on our roster yet when you look at Louisville's roster. I think that when that scholarship count resets and they can start actively recruiting again, you know, we see that all the time these transfers, there's waves of it. We're going to see more towards the beginning of the season next year, uh, the 2021 season. I think that they go out and they find somebody because these two guys are good backups. Um, and, you know, maybe they can contribute at, at a decently high level. But right now I don't see a starter at that position. So you think they could probably be potentially, maybe not overly actively recruiting because I'm sure there's some sort of NCAA rules sure. that pertains yeah. to it. But uh, you, I just you think, think that they're, they're probably, watching. They're watching. Yeah, uh, they're we just watching. gotta hope that, that it actually comes through because if if this if this is their game plan and they strike out on it, that they, they, they could be in a little bit of trouble at that spot. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I kind of thinking thinking back on it, I'm a little surprised that they didn't try to take a, a transfer there, just because there's not really a defensive tackle in, in this class that I remember off the top of my head. Um, I know they got Big Tone Brown coming in, who will be playing on the end. Uh, obviously, Justin Ashton, Gelati, like so. There's there's several there was, outside guys, but there's not a defensive tackle in this group. If there was going to be anyone, it was probably going to be R.J. Sorensen because I th- they brought in uh, five defensive ends. They're all defensive ends. Four of them had almost the, an identical uh, body type: six four, two twenty. But then R.J. Sorensen, he was right. six four, and I think his his weight coming out of high school was like two fifty, two forty. 
somewhere in that. So, and I believe on his game film, he did take some reps at DT. So if there's any one of those guys in this class that could maybe get some reps in the middle, it, it could be him. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the plan though. They still have Henry Bryan on the roster who was a prized recruit um, in that 2020 class last year. Didn't see the field much um, if at all in 2020, you know, as a true freshman, but again, it's a COVID year. Things kind of reset. He'll get to go through spring for the second time or really one and a half times because you know obviously they didn't make it through last year so um i think that that'll be interesting to see give me give me one more before we move on to the last segment and wrap the show here um because you kind of mentioned it's going to be interesting to see who comes out at the uh the card position because it, now it's it's kind of a two-horse race between marvin dallas and zay peterson and and both those guys had some really good impacts on a special team towards the end of the season and with the departure of uh of a uh, Rajay Burns, that that spot's kind of up for grabs between those two. So it's I, I think the, Louisville's in relatively good shape because those guys have a ton of potential, and it, it's going to be interesting to see who kind of between those two kind of jockeying for position, who's the one that kind of comes out on top. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's going to be another really interesting spot. You lose a guy in Rajay Burns who is super consistent, was you know at the top of tackles. Um, each of the last two seasons for Louisville. And again, this is a spot where you have no experience. You have none. You have nobody on the field right now um, who has started a, a college football game at that position. So, you know, again, Brian Brown talked about making sure that those safeties can play multiple positions. I hope that this is a good move with Jack Fago. Um, and there's other guys who could probably make a similar move and play here like Duncan, like Ben Perry. Uh, but I, I like Marvin Dallas special teams last year. I think we talked about this in the special teams episode. He was a missile. He made a couple mm-hmm. of really big hits. And he is really long, athletic. He's a raw player. He, he but... can lay the wood. I think he can be a solid backup to. Oh, um... hey now, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> but it, don't act like that's not a common. Uh, uh, it is. But it's, I just I got to give you a little bit of slack there for that one. But but you're right. There are some hitters in that group. Zay Peterson is another guy who is you know known for being able to to hit people. And we I think he was a guy a lot of people compared to Calvin Pryor. So um, you know there's 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 a lot of ability there. Um, and it's an important position to be able to set the edge in the running game, be able to blitz and get after it. Rajay Burns has had multiple sacks each of the last few seasons. And also he's, he's had an interception in each of the last two years. So they need a versatile guy who can get after it again. This is a position. I wonder if um, the player who ends up starting here is either not on the roster roster, or we just, you know, Maybe they're at another position. Maybe it's Ben Perry. Maybe it's, you know, Braylon Oliver. Maybe it's TJ Quinn. Um, I'm just Did not you sure. Did suggest that... Ben Perry play nose tackle? No, no, no. I thought we were talking about we, – we've moved on to the card position, have we not? To the linebacker. No, no right? we did. I, I thought you, you were trying to equate some of those guys to the middle too. No, no, no. Just strictly talking to that card spot. Like, that man, would be – I know they're versatile, but yeah. I don't know about that <laughs> versatile. Brian Brown plays a, a small defensive scheme, but never have I heard putting a safety at nose tackle. Ball, but that's interesting. A... But anyways yeah, to wrap that part up both of those position battles are going to be interesting it's it, the, the kind of the narrative with the defense is you have this like sprinkled like you have got a starter here but right next to him you've got a brand new player who doesn't really have any experience so going to be a very interesting spring let's move into this last segment this is new i'm excited about this uh we've titled this segment what you mean what you mean what you mean what you mean? What you this, mean? Essentially, this week we have heard a ton. Matt, you, God bless you. You've heard a lot. Uh, of you have speak. heard a lot of coach speak this week. One of my favorite segments in radio is on the Levitard show, the useless sound montage every week, um, where they just essentially play all the coach speak, where the coach says something, but it literally means nothing. We are in the heat of coach speak right now with spring practice. It's official coach speak season. (laughs) It is coach speak season. And I've got a couple of quotes here. You've got a couple. Let's for the sake of time here, let's just pull one or two each here. We've got like seven of these, but let's quickly run through these. I'm going to start. This is my favorite one. What you mean? What you mean? Uh, Brian Brown. I don't know who asked this question, but somebody asked him about Kendrick Duncan. And we've talked quite frankly about Kendrick Duncan being potentially this year's version of Cottrell Clark. And Brian Brown said the the quote here, Oh man, I expect Kendrick to come in and play like an all ACC player. He looks it, but he also plays like it. He's not a looks like Tarzan plays like Jane, whatever it is. He plays like Tarzan. What you mean? What you mean? What What Brian Brown really means here is we just did it again. Y'all we went and found a a mid major gym who is going to be an all ACC player. You saw what I did with Clark last year as his coach. Just wait until you see what myself and Greg Gasparato do with Kendrick Duncan. It's a very odd phrase. I know what it means because like, a lot of a lot of defensive backs are, quite frankly, 
prima donnas and kind of act like it sometimes. Is there a position on the football field that celebrates more for doing nothing than defensive backs? Can we can we be honest about this? We ran a poll on this in the Big Red League. Oh we talked God. about this last summer. Who celebrates more, defensive linemen or or cornerbacks and safety? Like a, a defensive back will have a ball go ten yards over yep. a receiver's head and act like they just like, stopped. No fly eight. zone. Yeah, <laughs> I did that. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It's I, I try and point it out every time. It's it's so hysterical. Like, yeah, that dude just absolutely roasted you. He just roasted, toasted, and abused you on the line. And you just your only saving grace was the quarterback throwing that ball five yards, ten yards over his head, and you're just going to be like, yeah, I did that. Like, come on now, you were about maybe like a second away from getting put on the not top ten. <laughs> exactly. All right, what what do you got for me? I was I was, I was going to pick one from Pete Thomas who kind of talked about the turnovers, but you know what? We've talked about turnovers too much. I'm going to go with uh, one, the one that we, I talked to you about this one, the one from Bicknell about um, his uh, departure from Auburn, just because I, I it kind of caught my eye. I, I really wasn't expecting him to go down this hole. He was now for those who don't know uh, Bicknell, uh, our new offensive line coach. He was he was let go from uh, Auburn as part of the coaching staff uh, coaching staff shakeup over there when they fired head, uh, Gus Malzahn as their head coach. And of course, you know that trickles down. They kind of whoever they I can't remember who they hired, but he brought in his own guys, and Big Null wasn't a holdover. So and he kind of what I thought was going to be briefly referenced that, and then a couple of questions later, he kind of went a little bit more in depth with his answer. He said, last year was a crazy year. Everyone's like back in March. It's like, oh, yeah, you guys just go out. Oh, man, it'd be wonderful if you just get on the field. You know what I mean? Just somehow do it. Risk your life. You know what I mean? And then at the end of the year, you're fired because you didn't win enough games. Meanwhile, nobody talks about, well, my starting guard was out with COVID, and you're just in and out with COVID. That's what's crazy about last year. It was, it was, it was just amazing to me because I thought everyone's just going to get a free pass. Just go out there and try and compete to the best you can. But obviously, that's not the way it went. I that's, love that's what was that. wrong because the things that teams faced last year was with this whole thing. What you mean? What you mean? You know, it's so funny to me. I heard that quote, and I, I it also caught my attention. The, what you mean? What you mean? Any coach who ever thinks that they're getting a free pass is probably going to end up getting let go. Like that's just the way that it goes in college football. And I understand what he means. Yeah, because like, it's a I, COVID year. It, it feels on. wrong. It feels wrong Malzahn, to fire someone after a, that season. Like, how yeah, can if, you justify if, it? If Malzon didn't get fired, I think he's still at Auburn because he's a good coach. He's got a, a long coaching pedigree, both in the in the college ranks and in the NFL. So if Malzon is if Malzon is still the coach at Auburn right now, I think he's still down there. So and what did he really mean? What did he really mean? What, give me the trans the Matt translation of what Coach Bicknell said. Uh, Auburn bleep you. What you mean? What you mean? He did. I mean, quite frankly, like- quite frankly, I mean, he was he was trying to be nice about it, which I can, I I, I get that you don't want a bad ma- you don't want to Bernie Bridges in in this uh, industry because you never know when you're going to need to call them. But he was. He, it's funny because you can on these Zoom calls you can kind of see their faces too. He wasn't visibly shaken up by it at all. He was just having like a normal conversation. But I I could tell just by his his words that he was just a little bit peeved that Auburn kind of let him go. The thing I, really I understand. Liked, I really liked about Coach Bicknell is that at times I I was listening to the press conference as I started to cook dinner and was cleaning the kitchen up a little bit. So I was getting to kind of listen to the words without seeing him. At times it sounded like a man who was just sitting and having a seven and seven, like just telling you about his life. Like it just it, there was just these times where where he seemed like the guy who's sitting at the bar at the end, just wanting to talk to somebody about something that's going on. And I found that very refreshing that he was kind of open and honest about that. Oh, yeah. uh, he, he, and he also later on got into his feelings a little bit like, Oh man, Sat reminds me of my dad. I love this program so much energy and love. And it was just like, he seems like the guy that you would want to go to a bar and have, and have a drink a with, with. Absolutely. And just let him be like, that's what it sounded like in his press conference. I love that. Uh, all right, let's move into my last one here. I, I thought this one was also really good um, from Catrell Clark asked about what his, like the, the, the importance of having an off season because coach Brown talked about, he didn't really have an off season last year. He got here right before the season started. So he this really, camp was still going on. He compared this to a freshman summer when a freshman enrolls in the, their first spring practice. So um, Clark said, so now trying to become a captain of this defense, which I like that, that he's setting this goal of becoming a team captain. So I'm trying to learn everybody's position now. Being that I have a spring and I'm going to have a fall camp, I feel like it's going to be dangerous. It really is. I feel like this year is going to be not being cocky in a way, but I feel like it's going to be a great season for me. 
What you mean? What you mean? There's a lot of things what I think he really meant here. First of all, he said the rest of the defense, you better elevate your game or else I'm going to call you out for it. I'm going to learn your position. I'm going to tell you <laughs> you were supposed to go left there and you went right. Step your, you know, step it up because we can't be having you be our weak link here. Um, and I also think he just put the ACC on notice of you shouldn't have given that, that first team all ACC. You want interceptions? That's what I think the ACC's message was um, in the voting by, from the media there is we didn't get enough interceptions out of you. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. I think he's going right. to get those next year. You're going to get those from him. He just put not only his own teammates on notice uh, in a very Michael Jordan esque way of saying like, I'm going to know your position so well that I'm going to have a great year. And like, this is a big spring for me. I'm going to dominate. I'm just letting you know about it now. That's the confidence that I love to see. And that's why I talked about this a little bit. He's like, kind of like the Jair Alexander of this defense. Yeah. And plus watching him talk about that, just it, you would think reading a quote like that, that's, that's a very defensive back, very cornerback quote. Cause you, you know how DBs are. They're all a cocky group, but just, just watching him say that and listening to him say that it didn't actually come off as cocky. It didn't come it off, as, came off as being pretty real. Like I feel like he could have been a lot being... more like strong oh, yeah. about it. Like being like, I'm gonna lock your ass down and then I'm going to go learn the linebacker position. And I'm going to make sure <laughs> he's also locking your ass down and all day long, you're going to live on my Island. And it's just the way it, that it's going to go. It truly sounded like he was being genuine from the heart, confident. And it, it at face value, it does sound cocky, but he just is just that just invested and believes in his skill set that much. And something else I really liked, I like now how I mean, obviously everyone wants to be a quote unquote captain of the defense and be a leader and whatnot. Like a lot of people like to say, but the fact that he's going out of his way to not only uh further learn his own position but to get fully immersed in the defense and know every single position, know the minutia, every position, know like how every position is supposed to line up, how they're supposed to line up in specific coverages and whatnot so that he can just have a complete and total grasp of what is supposed to transpire the second the ball is snapped or even before the ball is snapped with pre-snap motions and audibles and whatnot. He's trying to basically be another coach on the field. And I love that because he's already – I mean, I said this earlier. I think he's the best player on the team right now. He's he's already their best defender. The fact that he's starting to become probably another coach to the players, he, he, I I truly believe him when he says it's going to be dangerous next year. Give us a follow on Twitter at Jacob Lane 8 at General Wasp, stateoflouisville.com. Subscribe, rate, share, tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your grandma, tell your uncle from the Pink Seats podcast. Matt. Hopefully you've had a great Valentine's Day. I know that I am not your girlfriend and that this is not probably how you want to spend your Valentine's Day evening, but thank you for for doing that. This has been very romantic. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.